0: uh membership it's 10 bucks a month you get a monthly mastermind exclusively it's a zoom call every month with other youtube members uh, you also get weekly videos exclusive to the youtube members on how to use social media to improve your opportunities in life sciences so check that out really means a lot to me and thank you so much again for listening and enjoy the show Guru Nation, how's it going? Thank you so much for watching. Uh, Welcome to another episode. This one, I'm going to go a little bit longer, so it's going to be a podcast as well. But I'm basically going to go, and last year, if I was doing this last year when I was going live three times a week, that was absolutely insane. Last year, I went live every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. I have yet to go live once in 2022. And a lot of it is because um, I started the site, so I've been getting busy. Another reason is that was more of a goal for 2021 to try to go live and get more engagement. That doesn't mean I'm not going to go live anymore, because uh, I do love that kind of interaction. But I'm going to go live just at random times, so I'm not going to have schedules anymore, quite honestly, because... My patients, who I'm actually a coordinator again, so my patients' schedule is what I got to be adaptable to right now uh, until we hire some staff, then I can start going live again. So I got a question. Speaking of, that's I didn't even mean for that to be a segue, but it is a great segue. This question is about site owners. And it's in response to one of the videos I did where I talked about some of the highest paying jobs in clinical research. And I kind of put site ownership in its own category because yes, it's a job, but it's not a traditional job. Like you're not getting a paycheck. You're not signing up to get a paycheck. You're signing up to build a business, to create value in the space, to provide some kind of competitive advantage amongst your peers or your, your, your competitors, and to provide value to sponsors and the CROs and the patients in your communities. <clears throat> so that's not a job, but it, it kind of is, because I consider it my job. I consider being a site owner my job, and it's also the highest possible paying job. It's also the lowest possible paying job on the list. I think the people, the glass half full people, I used to be like, I probably still am much more optimistic than pessimistic. But when I was younger, I was like almost not pessimistic about anything or not cynical about anything. As you get older, you get a little more, I guess, wise. doesn't mean you're not optimistic. It just means you understand that everything has two sides, right? So, The fact that you can earn more than any other job in clinical research by having your own site is balanced because if there was no balance, everyone would do it and there would just be sites and nobody else doing anything. So you need the balance. The balance is you can also make zero dollars. You can also even lose money. So that's the balance. And I I think that's important to keep in mind because I'm going to get Pretty positive, pretty optimistic during this video, during this podcast. But I want you guys to understand: majority of small businesses fail. I've had sites fail. Uh, Oftentimes, it's due to situations beyond your control. Um, I my first site I started in two thousand five. I took over from my dad and some physicians that he was with. Basically, none of these doctors knew how to run a business. None of them knew anything really about clinical research, like from the private industry side. They were all like academic research focused. So I just got thrown into it. I went from like research assistant, basically just collecting urine samples and processing labs to and buying dry ice to taking over studies when all the coordinators bailed and figuring out like really quickly everything, not just the coordinating aspect, but how to get studies, how to convince patients to keep coming back, um, how to eventually how to hire and manage payroll and stuff like that. So that was, that was successful. I was able to sell that site seven years later. Uh, And then I also, in that time, I also opened two other sites one of which is still going on right now. And the other one which we had to shut down. Um due to a couple of reasons. One of the sub eyes who was a key player in that site, um, rest in peace, Frankie Miller. He was a really good business partner and a physician assistant sub I mean, this guy was amazing. Patients loved him. He had his own private practice, so he passed away last year, and rest in peace, Frankie. He was on a few videos way back in the day. Um, so he died, and then basically there's no there was no driving force for that site because i I already moved here to Arizona. Chris was managing our other site, and there was there that was not going to work, so that's a factor like that site is an example of something, a situation beyond my immediate control. And you can say, yeah, well, you could have not been so dependent on one person like I could have, right? But when you're managing multiple sites, certain sites take priorities over others. So just because I say or make recommendations on my YouTube channel doesn't always mean I actually follow those for for my own clinics. It would be a lot simpler if I just had one company and focused on that. But I'm running like basically seven different businesses right now. And so it's hard to keep focused. But I'm going to get to my new site, Yuma Clinical Trials, because there's a lot of opportunity there. And that's the one where I'm starting to do a lot of vlogs around. Uh, But I just wanted to explain like as far as generating an income for yourself, site ownership, in my opinion, the best thing you can do. Let's break down let's break down some of the numbers. Nobody ever does this. I hated the fact that I had to learn all of this on my own. When I started my when I got thrown into my site in 2005, 6 and 7, I had no idea what a good budget was. Well, I had no guys, I had no clue. When I took over the site, the former business partner left, she tried to steal studies for her site she took all the contracts. I was lucky to have a bank account. And so I had to actually ask all the sponsors for like copies of everything. Like, hey, can I have the contract? I need to see what we're looking at as far as projections. I mean, patients kept coming in. I knew I had to pay them, but I had no idea what we were getting back. So let's break down the numbers because I think the site ownership First of all, it's not for everybody. So again, I I need to I think I need to focus more on like why it's not a good idea and for who it's not a good idea for. If you need to make money in the next 12 months, site ownership's not a good idea for you. You're not gonna make money in your first year running a site. You're lucky in your first year to get your first study or three maybe four. If you know what you're doing, you get four. If you brand new, you're lucky to get one or two studies in your first year. That's just to get the site selection visit and then maybe get selected. To, to get paid, you actually need to start randomizing patients, not screening patients, because most studies give you a screen fail budget, but it's like That's not a career. You can't make a living from just screen-filling patients. You also can't make a living or a career just getting any study you can just to live off of the startup fee. All right. That's eventually not. It may work like a little bit in the short term, but those sponsors are going to get mad that you're not enrolling any patients. So. Your business. Is built upon the foundation of you randomizing patients for the studies. You remain in business beyond year one by adhering to the protocol and GCP for these studies and keeping the sponsors happy with enrollment primarily. The data is number two after enrollment, the quality of the data. data. Now, it doesn't mean you can have bad quality data, but if you can enroll patients, that you're forgiven for a lot of future blunders. So it's very, the, the reason, the barrier to entry is not tough. You just need a doctor. You don't need any fancy equipment, any fancy licenses. Everyone thinks you need licensing. What What licensing do I need to start a site? In your city, county, state, I don't know. You might need certain things, like in L.A. County, they're very strict about having appropriate business license, and some other places they could care less. Um, So that stuff doesn't even matter. It's there's no real barrier to entry there. The barrier to entry is getting your first physician to agree to want to work with you, and you can structure that a number of ways on my blog, theclinicaltrialsguru.com. If you click on open a clinic. We have two 30-minute videos, so they're an hour long, explaining exactly how to structure these deals with the PI, uh, the different options you can have. I'm not gonna get into that in this podcast because that's gonna be that's gonna take us off track, get us sidetracked. But just know there's one of the barriers to entry is getting your first physician to agree to work with you. That might take three to six months. All right, so it takes Three to six months maybe to get your first study. Like to get your first sponsor to say, okay, let's schedule a site selection visit. They won't do that until you have a PI. So you can't get a study until you get a PI. So let's say you decide tomorrow, I'm going to start a site. I'm going to start interacting with physicians and see who wants to work with me. Okay, that, to get your first physician from my experiences, takes one between one to six months. I say one because a lot of people have a network. So they already have people in their sphere of influence that they could tap into for this physician. And yes, it does have to be a licensed in that state MD or DO. I don't care. I'm not talking about academic studies. I know non-MDs can do academic research. That's not what you're going to do. And that's actually, I'm going to get into that. Um, uh, there's a list of questions from somebody who inspired this podcast. This is still my introduction. This might be a long podcast guys, but bear with me. I know a lot of people wanted the short videos we're doing. I've been giving a lot of those, but every now and then we need to go in depth on a topic. So if it takes you one to six months to get a physician to say, yes, Dan, I'm interested. Let's go. Here's my CV. Start applying for studies. One to six months. Okay. Now you can start applying for studies. So let's take the, the the halfway point of that. Three months to get your physician to say, okay, let's go. Now you start applying for studies. It takes another three months to get your first site selection visit. If you're going on clinicaltrials.gov or if you're a client of ours. By the way, you can be a client of ours. We charge a low monthly fee. It's 1300 bucks a month as of 2022 we're thinking about raising that at some point but right now it's 1300 a month month to month we will send you study leads we will recommend you for certain studies when they come across our desk but we will do a lot of outbound marketing on your behalf to filter every week you'll have about 10 7 to 13 study leads that you need to follow up with so you'll have email address of a sponsor that Has a study that may be looking for sites. So if you do this every week, my site, Yuma Clinical Trials, I'm in my own client. So my site, Yuma Clinical Trials, is treated just like all the other clients we have. We have about 85 clients now across the country. I get the same list everyone else gets. It's my job to make sure I follow up with this list every week. Most of the time, I don't hear anything back from any of these seven to 10 leads. Well, once a month or so, so that's, let's say it's 10 leads a week for four weeks. That's 40 leads, 40 leads that we've looked at, not counting the ones that we actually, sponsors come to us and say, give us your sites. So not counting those, 40 leads a week that I get from DSCS, which is my company. I follow up with, I'll hear back from one or two of those leads. That says, hey, thank you. We either have more questions for you or here's your CDA and feasibility. Please complete. So I've been able to get, so far I got three studies for my site. I got, let's just do a time frame. So I moved to Yuma, Arizona in July, 2021. Let's call it August because it was the end of July. So I moved here in August. I already had my PI before I moved here. But it took me from December until about March or April to convince this doctor to be my PI. And he's letting me use his office. And eventually, we're going to get our own space close to him. But right now, we're using his office. So. I had a PI in August already, so I started applying for studies in August. I got my first site selection visit in October, August. So it only took me two months to get my first site selection visit. And then it was actually two studies. The sponsor was looking for two separate studies for sites. So it's the same drug, two studies. So I actually got two site selection visits within two months that I started applying for studies. I didn't start applying for studies till I moved here. So two months, it fast forward to February, 2022, for these same two studies, I still have not been able to, now I'm able to screen as of yesterday. Yesterday we were given the green light to start screening patients. So from October until February, October, November, December, January. That's four months. We already had the study, the studies. I already did all the startup regulatory. We already did the contract and budget. There's a lot of paperwork that they wanted. There's a uh, For this study, I had to buy an incubator, which I've never had to buy for a study before. Um, thankfully, the doctor has a lot of the equipment we need, so I didn't have to buy much. So I didn't really spend much, and I'm not spending anything on rent. The doctor's letting me use unused space in his office to do research. So October, November, December, January, February, let's call it four months. All right, four months. I got the study. I'm not generating revenue because I'm not allowed to screen yet. Now, there is a startup fee. They said they just mailed the check. So there's startup fees for both studies, but it's a nominal amount. I mean, I, I'm i going to give the PI to, uh, 20% of that, and then we're just going to put the rest in our account so that we can start, because right now it's just me and my nurse practitioner, Jaime Valles, my wife, who's helping on the study as well, and a remote intern from the CRC Academy. Shout out to you, Samantha. She's been very good. It's just been us so far. Uh, And the PI doing like the paperwork. So that it took me four months from getting the study to being able to screen. So let's do, let's add that up. Okay, I moved here in August. I already had my PI. So I moved in August, August, September, October, November, December, January, February. I'm on seven months of zero income still. A relatively, a lot amount of work on the study startup stuff. Um, Setting up the source, getting it approved, going through revisions, SSVs, SIVs, setting up different specialists for these studies. I had to find an ophthalmologist and I had to find a dermatologist. There's good stuff about that too. I'm going to get to it. Telling you this can be a long, long podcast. Seven months, no income. I'm about to get a startup fee any day now. Yay. That's if this was my only job, if I had no other sources of income, I would not be happy. I mean, I'm happy with the progress, but I can't live off of this, right? Thankfully, I have, like I said, I have consulting companies. I have another site in San Bernardino, I have uh, CRA, CRC Academies uh i had some contract cra gigs so i we've got i've got income right but i understand people watching and listening may not be in that situation because if they're going to do this they're going to quit their job and i think that's also a myth that i want to get into so 7 months no income okay i've been doing this for 7 months granted it hasn't been a full-time job but close it's taken a lot of effort No income. We can start screening now. Like tomorrow, yesterday was supposed to be our first screening, but we had some hiccups with the labs. Tomorrow, we're going to screen our first patient, hopefully. There's no guarantee he's going to qualify. Matter of fact, this is a high screen failure rate study. So chances are this patient won't qualify. Now, we do get screen fail payments, but you can't make a living off of that either. So ultimately, and my p i gave me access to their database, they have a huge database so i i won't I don't think I'll have a problem eventually randomizing patients and because it is such a difficult budget, it is a higher budget So let's say we randomize our first patient because for my screening window, it takes a month. so I screen someone tomorrow february eleventh twenty twenty two I'll randomize that patient. If I'm lucky, remember, it's a high screen fill rate. If I'm lucky, I'll randomize that patient in March. Sponsor won't pay you until your first randomization. And even though the contract says monthly payments, it's not going to be monthly, guys. Eventually, it becomes more regular, but it's not monthly in the beginning. Let's say I randomize. I get lucky. I go against the odds this patient actually randomizes. I The monitor will come out to do a monitoring visit in March or April. It will take at least one to three months to get paid for that visit, for the screening and for the randomization and whatever other visits they've completed prior to that CRA. When the CRA comes out, they typically do a SDV and then they there's a button they could push to um basically it's not called triggering a payment but it basically triggers the payment from the system to the site so we're looking at might be april or may till I get my first study or my first payment for my first patient or patients if i start screening like many and hopefully randomizing we have three potentials that are supposed to come in, actually two, one of them doesn't have the condition. So we have two patients right now. We, but we have a big database. So I'm not worried about that. And it's a complicated study. So I want to go slowly. If this was my only revenue stream, I wouldn't be going this slow. I would try, I would sacrifice like a little bit of quality for, uh, revenue, but I'm, I have the luxury. I can go slow and make sure we're doing it right. That's a complicated study. So we're looking at may, if I can randomize these patients or find some that do qualify, looking at may to actually get paid. But if I'm consistent with screening, every week I screen one or two. From the Eventually the numbers start to go in your favor. So if every week I screen two, which is kind of the plan right now, every week I screen two, after that first payment in May, it should be more regular. Because the statistics tell me X number of patients are going to actually be in the study, and that's kind of recurring revenue. As long as they keep coming to their visits, it's recurring revenue. So that's just for one study. I have another study, too. We haven't screened anyone yet, but we're looking to start screening also. So we're going to have both of these studies going on concurrently, screening one or two a week for both. By May, we should start seeing good income, May, June, July, August, September. But listen to the timeline, okay? May 2022, I moved here August 2021. August to September, September to October, October November, November December, December January, January February, February March, March April, April May. Nine months, and that's not counting the three months it took me to get my PI. So that if I count that, that's a year. That's a year of working with no income. It's not for everybody. All right, that's the bad. I had to, I had to throw some like reality into this for the rest of this podcast i'm going to focus on the good right so that's the bad i have the luxury of working for myself so i don't like i don't need to ask my supervisor hey uh you know i'm running a site and cut me some slack like there's no such thing i have my own business so i have autonomy to Manage that business or businesses with Chris and the rest of our team. And do this. I, I don't need to ask permission or anything like that. For some of you, most of you, you are either a CRC or a CRA. If you're a CRC and you want to start your own site, you really have an ethical dilemma on your hands. Because you're working for someone. Now, you may decide to do studies that are outside of what your current employer has. Like, let's say you work in psychiatry, but you found a dermatologist, so you're, you want to do derm studies. That's not really, in my opinion, that's not an ethical conflict, but depends on your relationship. I'm not going to judge. You may or may not owe it to your employer to be upfront with them about it, right? So if with CRC, it's a little bit more complicated. Uh, If you're up front with them, they may try to help you. Hey, well, why don't we take a minority role in your new company and you focus on that? that? That's a positive of being up front with your employer if you're a CRC working at an existing site. A smart entrepreneur, I've had employees come and tell me that. And I tell my employees when I hire them, look, I don't even care if you want to start your own site. If you want, like, matter of fact, I might be interested in helping you do that. I'll take a small minority part in it, or maybe a major part if you need financial backings or things like that. Uh, So don't automatically assume, but you know your employer better than I do. I'm just speaking in generic abstract uh, terms. If you're not in that situation... You either have to start your clinic without your employer knowing and just kind of working both, right? Or you just gotta quit your job and do that. So what does that tell me? That tells me your living expenses. If you're gonna quit quit your job to focus on your site, whether you're so for a CRC. For CRA is a little bit little bit easier, but they have other challenges. Less ethical challenges more logistical and practical challenges no matter what eventually you're going to have to quit your job but eventually and i just explained for like half an hour it's going to take a year to get revenue so that year is going to be incredibly challenging for you um so crc that's that's how you would start your site. Uh, this person asked the question: Are study coordinators more successful site owners than CRA site owners? In my experiences, yes. Why? CRAs are more. CRAs are, have a different specialization. It's not so much focused on running the site. It's about monitoring the site monitoring the data at the site. CRCs are in the trenches. They're dealing with the patients. So they know about patient recruitment. They know how to keep monitors happy. Right. They know uh they might know how to get studies. They might know and then they might know contract and budgets to some extent. They'll know startup regulatory from the site perspective. CRAs know it from the monitoring perspective, but it's different. From this, let me tell you, I've been a monitor also. Startup study, startup regulatory is a lot different as a CRA than a CRC. As a CRA, all you're doing is bugging the sites. Hey, did you get this FDF? Did you get this 1572? Did you do this? Did you do this? As a CRC, you're doing it all. You're running to go chase down the PIs and the subis. Oh, you dated, you formatted your CV wrong. Let's redo it. All that takes time. All that running around. Coordinators are used to that. So in my opinion, because of that and many other reasons, coordinators do make better site owners. But that doesn't mean that CRAs are not good site owners either. So let's now move. This is a good segue to move to the CRA part of this. Do CRAs make good site owners? Less so than coordinators. But the advantage of a CRA is they're typically paid better. So they have more, hopefully, if they've been saving money or maybe buying stocks or buying crypto, they have some reserves that they, if they need to, they could live off of for that 9 to 12 months. Now, some CRAs also, just like the coordinators, they say, nope, I'm fed up with being a monitor. I have enough reserves for a year. I'm going to quit my job and just focus solely on this site. Hats off to you. You've earned that. You deserve it. You've saved. You're going to live your dreams. The majority of CRAs, however, haven't been that diligent as far as saving. So they, I don't want to say a lot are living paycheck to paycheck, but many are. So you can't, that tells me you can't quit your job. So, as a CRA that can't quit your job, but you're running a site and we've had many clients in this situation, many, right? How about half of them quit their CRA jobs and are successful site owners. The other half, it was more than they could stomach and they went back to being a monitor. That's just the reality of it. So if, if you're, if you can't quit your CRA job, you got to worry about a couple ethical things because let's say your first study, and this happened to a client. Let's say your first study that you get, or your second study, is from the same CRO that you work for. And let's say that it, either you, as a CRA, or one of your colleagues you work closely with, is assigned to your site. <laughs> Now you're screwed. You got like some explaining to do. And this actually happened to one of our clients. And what he did was he quit his CRA job. He took a sponsor side role, but he was up front with the sponsor about his site. And the sponsor just needed somebody with expertise. They hired them. And now he's the guy earned his salary for like six, to 12 months, I think. To have a cash cushion while managing his site. How did he do it? He hired a coordinator. So he, he tapped into our CRC Academy. He's a client. So when you're a client, you can tap into our CRC Academy of interns. We have students in the CRC, CRA Academy all over the place. We can send you some that intern. So they, they're going to work for free. They're going to volunteer for free. Ultimately, If you're a smart site owner, you're going to pay them, you're going to work a deal with them if you want to keep them as employees. He also used CREO and eSource and EREG. So while he's monitoring at different sites, you travel a lot as a CRA, his coordinator was seeing patients. He was able to review and supervise from a distance because of CREO in his spare time, so in the evenings. Uh, he was burning both ends of the candle. There's no way around that. If, that's, if this is the route you take, you're going to be in the same situation. But it's possible, and many do. And many succeed, I would say about half. Half succeed as CRAs, the other half say, this is crazy, I'm going back to monitoring. At least it's guaranteed income. Now, let's break down, like if you do quit your job okay, as a CRA, the practical, like let's break down the numbers cuz the first 30 minutes i broke down like why it's going to take take a year for you to start making money but now let's get to the making money part so if you made it past a year and you got a study and you you're getting patients you're golden you're golden you're gonna you can quit your job and make yourself the crc for your own studies and you can easily with just one study replace your salary as a CRA. Easy. What, whatever the average CRA salary is right now, let's say between 80 to 150K a year, right? I know some make less. I know some make more. I'm going like what, like probably 80% of CRAs make in that range between 80K a year to 150K a year. With one study that you are moderately enrolling patients in, meaning around eight to 10 patients per study. But with just one study, typically that study pays about 1500 bucks a visit. Typically a study has about 10 visits on average. This is just very like generic info. I know there's some studies have like one visit. Some studies have like, 100 visits. The let's just go with 10 visits per patient. You're making 1500. So the math boils out to about 300k gross per study. 300 grand if not more gross per study. Chris and I actually did the math. 300,000, all right? Now, let's say you pay your PI Let's say you pay your PI 25%. So you pay your PI 75 grand. So, and this 300,000 is for a year. So for a year of enrollment for 10 patients, assuming they all complete, it's about 300K. Now, we all know most don't complete, but most most sites, even small sites, have more than one study. So the number is still going to make sense. It's actually conservative. So 300 minus 75,000 you're left with 225k in profit. Now, you're going to have to pay about half of that to taxes, right? So 2 225 if you're in a state like California, a little bit less if you're in another place. 22550, uh half of that. So that's 112 250 one, two, three, divided by two. 125K after taxes. Now, you can, if you're smart, you're going to have some write-offs. There's a lot of books and podcasts you can listen to. Things you would have bought anyways, like computers and things you could write off. But this is going to be like your net profit after taxes. 125K for like one or two studies where you're enrolling like just a moderate amount. You're not a high enroller. Your regular enroller, 125k your first year in research, with you being the employee. So there's no coordinator salary here. Okay, this is you. Maybe you have an assistant. Let's say you have an MA and you pay her, let's say 40,000 a year. So now you're getting fancy. If now you're taking home 85k, that's with paying an MA a good salary for an MA, 85k. What did I say the range was for CRA? Between 80 to 150. So what my point is, after you struggle your first year of no income, your second year, you're already easily, easily, it shouldn't say zero, it should say 85 to 150K. Your second year with just you and your PI and maybe an MA or another kind of assistant. You're replacing your salary, and that's when you're starting out. Now, most sites, even small sites, in their first year, especially in a year like this year, they're making they're doing like four to eight studies in their first year, or if they're only doing two in their first, almost guarantee you with the way things are going, your second year, you're going to have four to eight studies. So now at that point, you do need to hire like a full-time coordinator to help you. But still, all right, let's say 300K a study. Let's make it even more conservative. Let's go 200K a study, all right? 200,000 times, let's say you get five studies in your second year. That's a million gross, right? Now you pay your PI 25%, all right? So you're left with 750k as profit. Now from that 750, let's say you're paying a coordinator and an MA now. So let's say you're paying 100 grand for salaries. Cuz for five studies you can do it with you, another coordinator, assuming you're still a coordinator you, another coordinator and like an MA, maybe some other assistant. So let's let's go 200k, right? Let's say you're paying like you're generous, you're paying 200k. From that 750, you're paying 200k. Now you're at 550,000 net. Now remember, taxes come into this equation as well. And depending on how you structure your company, if it's an s you need to pay yourself what's a fair salary. You, the owner, need to pay yourself as a W2. If it's an LLC. You just do dividends. You can do whatever you want. But as an S-Corp, you have to pay yourself. So government gets that payroll tax, too. That's what they want from an S-Corp. From an LLC, you're just a member. So you it's a pass-through gains. All right. Let's say $550K. You're being really generous on salaries. Uh, that's your net profit. Now, from that, of course, with five studies, you're going to be paying patients from that as well. Uh, so. Each patient gets, let's say, a hundred a visit. So hundred a visit times 10 visits, that's a uh, thousand a study times 10 patients. That's 10 grand per study times five studies. That's 50 grand, right? So from 550, now you go to 500,000 because you paid patients. Let's say you had to pay also like sub to do stuff, right? Like you pay a sub I to do certain assessments that your PI is not going to do, so you have a sub I doing. So let's say you pay your sub I because they're part time, fifty thousand a year. So now you're down to four fifty, four fifty k off of five studies. But now you're not doing all the work. You have another court. You have yourself. You have another coordinator. You have an MA, and you have sub I's, and maybe you have another helper too, like a regulatory or something. Five. All right. You can do five studies with that. You can do, that's a foundation to even do 10 studies and maybe just bring on another MA. So you can see how very quickly in year two, you are making your CRA salary that you've had in your former life irrelevant. I mean, it. but that's the barrier to entry is this whole time, right? It's about three years now that we're talking. The first year, nothing. The second year, you're about matching what you made as a CRA, if you're doing it right. The third year, you're eclipsing what you've made, and you're never looking back. So that's that's site ownership in a nutshell. Now, this person asked more questions. I think they're actually telling. I think these questions are actually telling to some extent, because they're asking some questions that I think there's some assumptions like embedded in these questions that we got to just get out of our mind, right? So the first one, do LPNs make successful site owners, licensed professional nurses, or practicing nurses? Yes. Anybody who has, I mean, anybody can make a good site owner, but of course it helps. If you have a clinical background and you actually have hands-on capabilities with patients, Uh, you can draw blood. You don't need an MA maybe in that case right? Uh, You might need something like the CRC Academy, but you don't need, and you may need to hire a coordinator, but I still recommend you be a coordinator, even if you don't have the experience. Um, Are government contracts available for site ownership slash startup? No. Government give money through the NIH to different research programs that they're interested in. This is There's a whole sub-industry of this called grant writers. They apply for grants. You as a small site, you're not competing in this arena. So nothing. Don't even waste time with that. Uh, did you say that some site owners provided COVID-19 testing and or vaccines? So I don't even know what that means. If you're a site owner, you do what you need to do to run your site. I don't know what COVID-19 has to do or vaccines have to do with any of this. Uh, Due to COVID, oh, here's another question. Due to COVID, do you plan on printing a second edition of your book? No, because honestly, COVID hasn't changed much. Like all this stuff I talked about was like my example with Yuma Controls was during COVID. And the fundamentals are no different than when I started my site in 2005. Nothing's changed. COVID, maybe I just made, like, eSource and maybe some remote monitoring a little more prevalent. But the fundamentals, the money that I just mentioned, hasn't changed anything. Decentralized trials hasn't changed anything. Uh, So that's, that's site ownership. And in, like, a real practical, hopefully it's under an hour, podcast. Thank you guys so much. Obviously, you can see my passion for this. Obviously, to me, it makes sense. But I also was fortunate enough to get started in this when I didn't need necessarily an income in my first year. And I also took over a site that had some revenue coming in, albeit quickly going out to the previous owner who was taking everything. So I had some advantages. It's not easy. But if you have the capabilities, the patience, the financial resources, the wherewithal, the ambition to get yourself through that first year and still accomplish everything you need to accomplish, your second year and on is golden if you do it right. And never rest on your laurels. So, one thing I want to end with is never rest on your laurels, meaning never be satisfied with just like one PI because anything can happen. PI can get hit by a bus pi can get covid and want to retire one of my dermatologists who i almost had as a sub i he got covid he got really bad with covid and he told me like hey i got covid i got really sick it made me reexamine what i'm doing with my career and i'm thinking to retire so i would love to do research but i'm not going to do it luckily i found another dermatologist because my existing pi the internal medicine physician. That took me three months to get. He started referring me to his colleagues because we need a different specialist for different studies. So he referred me to a dermatologist. The dermatologist on board we're doing. Now I have my third study. I just had my third site selection visit and we're going to get that study to do with the dermatologist. Uh, So now I have a derm. I also have an ophthalmologist, but he's he's 90 something years old. So, I mean, I love the guy. The guy's amazing. Um, But he's, I think he's just going to be a sub eye for now, for now. And he's, um, he's happy with that. But he said, if he, I can get him a study, we can do a study. But point is, never just relax. Okay, like, okay, you set it up, you're golden, you got revenue coming in. Many people, there's nothing wrong with just having a lifestyle business and making 300k a year as a site owner and just going on vacation whenever you want and making sure your coordinators are on it when they're when they're working and working from, you can, there's nothing wrong with that, right? So you can do that. And there's a lot of people that have lifestyle businesses, but if you really want to protect yourself, insulate yourself and achieve what you're capable of achieving in this field, you want to surround yourself with different specialists so that's therapeutic condition diversity you could also do geographic diversity where you open sites in different parts of the country i've tried that honestly didn't work for me me and chris have tried that what we've learned over the last five years maybe seven years now that we've been doing that we've failed we haven't lost money Uh, but we've definitely just broken even and wasted a lot of time trying to manage sites from different parts of the country remotely. So I'm sure it can be done, but you, I can't talk on that because I haven't done it successfully. We can do consulting for clients easy, right? But when it comes to business ownership, there's a whole nother level of involvement and we haven't found a way to do it. So What we found is wherever we live, we can do sites in that area and manage. And so you're going to have that same thing to consider, the same opportunity. Um, So five years into it, 10 years into site ownership, if you're successful, you're going to laugh at the fact that you were afraid to leave your job. But I understand it may not be so funny right now. Just wanted to put it all out there. Thank you so much, Guru Nation. Keep subscribing, and let me know if this was helpful. Bye-bye.